Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a free $20 wager with your first deposit. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining you right here on a Monday evening with my co-host, Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site read and reaction.com. Well, it's vacation week for me, but the podcast doesn't stop. <laughs> hey, man, I'm not on vacation until Wednesday, so the rest of your listeners are the same way, trying to trying to huff it through three days before they finally get a couple of days off for Thanksgiving. So got to gotta keep the content up, even though you're being lazy this week, man. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I, I did do a little bit more research today than I wanted to. As you and I talk behind the scenes a whole lot, it, you, you fall down a rabbit hole sometimes. You just can't help yourself. So uh, I fired off a, a few tweets before, uh, before showtime, but uh, – Heck, it happens. I can't help myself. Hey, man, that's that's why you do what you do, right? Yeah. Like you, you enjoy doing this. This isn't. This can become a job when you've got your other job going on in the background. But when you have some time to yourself and can actually think about how to prepare and feel like you can prepare properly, there's nothing more fun than, than talking about your favorite team and sort of looking at different angles. So, not a real surprise that you would find time to do that. Certainly, that's the kind of thing I do too when I get time. Just haven't had any time, so I'll let you lead the way tonight. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Katie, my wife had a doctor's appointment. Uh, I, I, I appointment. I was like, it's fine. I'm just gonna dive right in here anyway. So, <laughs> well, you know, we could exercise or you know read a book That's or true. something like that. But now we're looking up like defensive statistics, and, <laughs> you know, trying to figure out how we can stump stump Trask for Heisman a little bit better. Yeah. So, hey, it's you know the the team has a wonderful record, has an opportunity to win the SEC championship, has an opportunity to play for the national championship if things fall right and. If you're not excited for that, I don't know when you get excited. So it, it's a good time to be a Gator fan, exciting to be a Gator fan. And plus, hasn't it been awesome to see JT Daniels go off and see all the Georgia <laughs> fans go, we would have beat Florida if we'd have had Daniels. It's like, you did. He was cleared like two months ago, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, I'll, 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 I guess we can forget Kyle Pitts got hurt, didn't play in the second half. Uh, Xavier Henderson runs the wrong route, and the pick six happens that way. I mean, we'll, you know, we'll excuse. We'll excuse it a little bit, but. You know, we we can throw a whole, we can throw plenty back at them. Well, I think somebody tweeted that JT Daniels wasn't going to stop the wheel route. <laughs> exactly, and, uh, <laughs> he's not playing linebacker from Georgia. 
Yeah, that's the, you know, they, there's really no argument with that. I did see somebody from Georgia say, well, they only scored six points in the second half. It's like, yeah, guys, they, they took their foot off the gas. That's like, been the argument. Nice yeah, that's been the argument the whole time. Well, so, you know what? Oh, well. Hey, that's probably not quite as annoying, but that's probably been us the last couple of years. My Georgia fan so. said the same. My Georgia friend said the same thing. I said, "You're right. It, it, it's exactly the, the same situation." So, yeah, but it seems more petty when you're from Georgia. It's yeah, just, you know, <laughs> like. But I'm enjoying the tears. Like the saltiness of the tears is delicious this Thanksgiving, <laughs> as Georgia just wonders what could have been had they actually had a staff that could properly coach quarterback and. All that sort of stuff. It's lovely. Just well, lovely. Well, only thing, scoreboard. That's all we got to say. That's all we got to say. <laughs> well, and go buy a T-shirt with the score on it that you're that you're hawking, man. That's, that's the way you got to do it. Man, perfect transition. Boom. I, I don't have it up there, but ebay.com slash str slash gators breakdown. As Will said, I got to get the image up there. But there's a, there is a score sheet, a score shirt of the uh, Florida Georgia game uh, up there, but Plenty of designs. You can see them right there if you're watching the YouTube version. eBay.com slash STR slash Gators Breakdown for your Gators Breakdown merchandise. Before we get into everything else here in this episode, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the episodes there as well as news for jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show on YouTube. Hit that like button right now. Hit that subscribe button right now if you haven't already. It really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Or if you want the audio version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, well, before we move forward with the theme of this episode and, and some, you know, defense having to get some things figured out along the way, um, of course, every Sunday I do, I, I read your article at Read and Reaction and you look back at uh, the, the Vanderbilt game. Uh, what are your you know, initial overall thoughts versus Vanderbilt? Looking ahead to Kentucky a little bit and one comparison for college trash you made that I think fits very well. Well, I mean, I think my initial thought is, is that whenever you win by 21 points against Vanderbilt, it, it's both sort of a relief, but also underwhelming. And that's kind of what I felt like about the game is that, you know, you look back at the 96 team and the 2006 team, they didn't necessarily blow Vanderbilt out of the water. I think both times won by less than a touchdown. And so the fact that the team was able to come out clearly be pretty flat and still lead by a touchdown at the half and then pull away to be up by three touchdowns by the time the game ended is indicative, I think, of the skill level of this team and also the fact that they, you knew that sometime along the way they were going to need to coast a little bit. And the Vanderbilt game happened to be one of those games where coming off of an emotional win over Georgia and then an emotional win over their former quarterback, kind of figured there might be a letdown, especially on the road. Didn't get there until 60 minutes before the game because obviously Mullen and staff were taking COVID very, very seriously because of what they see in front of the team. And, you know, again, to come out with a three touchdown win, I think is significant. There are things that you look at and say, Hey, I wish that was better. Um, But Again, I, 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 I find it hard to complain about three touchdown wins, even though you can look and say, hey, there are things that can improve. All right, Will, so we got to get to that comparison that you made for one Kyle Trask there. And it was based off of the throw that, you know, Florida, Florida aggressive. I, I loved it. Backed up on their own end zone, on the one-yard line, play action. Trask throws a beautiful ball to Kamori Gamble, and uh, that led, led, led you to uh, make one – you know, high-profile high comparison for one Kyle Trask. 
Yeah, so I mean, I don't want to make too much of it yeah. other than the fact that they had com- they had compared him during the game to Nick Foles, and that didn't seem right. Foles is really pretty mobile for 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 a quarterback. Like he's got some mobility. He really excelled in Chip Kelly's scheme there with the Eagles for a year or two. So Foles doesn't seem like the right comparison. Plus, he's got kind of a long loopy motion. So they re-showed the or showed a replay of the of the play that you're talking about from the one yard line where he threw the ball to Gamble. And not only did they have the play action, but he sort of he sort of danced around back there to get away from the rush. And then he threw the ball just sort of off of one foot. And it really reminded me of Peyton Manning, just being able to have the right touch, putting it right in the right place. He knew that he was going to gamble before that ball was even snapped. And he was looking directly at the safety, making sure he didn't move anywhere. And then just immediately turned and threw it to gamble, knowing where he was going to be. Um, and I think that's actually a pretty apt comparison. And whether he's got the same arms, arm strength as Peyton Manning, I don't, I don't necessarily know, but um, knowing where he's going to go with the ball, making decisions quickly, manipulating the defense with his eyes, and then just sort of manipulating the pocket with his feet. So Manning, especially when he was in Indianapolis, you'd remember like a defensive end would would come loose and he'd just fall. <laughs> and he would, he would he would never get hit because he would fall and just the guy would have to touch him on the shoulder. He never really got hit very hard. And it's sort of the same thing with Trask, at least in terms of his ability to manipulate the pocket, sort of slide to the left when he feels the blitz coming from the right, slide and some to the, of the right spin moves a little bit. Left. And some of those spin moves might remind you of the other Manning, Eli, <laughs> making a couple of plays well, there. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was funny. I, I think Trask did a real nice job of manipulating the pocket. Now he, now he had to because yeah. the, the offensive line, especially in the first half, really struggled, particularly against some three-man rush that were able to get to him, um, you know, the sack to end the half. But then also a couple, there was one where he threw it up where it was really sort of a jump ball, probably should have been picked off by Vandy. Well, and, before, and you, before, you, yeah, before you move on there, I wish I'd have brought this up yesterday. You, you brought up the three-man rush and, and, and Florida struggling there. I guess one reason I'm not too worried about it, against a better defense the week before in Arkansas, a lot of the same there three four man rushes and Florida did very well against that defensive front. So I guess if you want to lend itself, kind of like you just said, maybe the emotion sleepwalking a bit. If you want to compare the situations against a better defense with Arkansas the week before, they did pretty good in that in that scenario. Sure. Well, they also didn't have Stuart Reese in this game, right? So they didn't have the same continuity on the offensive line. And when you're trying to hand off stunts or figure out who you're going to double team and those sorts of things, that 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 tends to come up. The other thing is, is that they were really good in the running game against Arkansas, ran mm-hmm. for like 200 yards. And, and there is a question as to whether that's just because Arkansas isn't any good against the run, but Vanderbilt's not any good against the run. <laughs> so I, look, I, I think when you look at this Vanderbilt game, you have to look at it within context. And one of the things that I think we need to look at is, all right, you know, teams have won national championships. Do they have these sorts of games? Well, sure. I mean, LSU last year had that game against Ole Miss where they gave up 402 rushing yards. In 2018, Clemson barely escaped Clemson. Now, certainly Trevor Lawrence without, went out with a concussion in that you, game. You said Clemson still, barely escaped Clemson. Syracuse. 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 <laughs> Clemson barely escaped Syracuse. And then in 2017, Alabama went into the fourth quarter against Mississippi State. Dan Mullen's Mississippi oh, State yeah. team yep. down 21 to 17 before pulling out a, a win, 31 to 24. You know, and then you think back to some of those famous, um, famous Alabama teams where you got Terrence Cody blocking mm-hmm. the field goal and they beat Tennessee twelve to ten. Um, so these sorts of things happen to teams. They just have letdowns, and the question is, do you figure out a way to get a win? 
And against Texas A&M earlier this year, Florida couldn't figure out a way how to get that win, but they've been able to do it ever since. And we knew that there was going to be a letdown at some point along the way where you've got seven and even eight straight games. If you're playing the SEC championship, you just can't get up emotionally. And let's be honest, the Florida players knew exactly what we did. They're just sitting there going, ah, it's Vandy. Like, and, mm-hmm. the, and the only people who were maybe disappointed by the performance were some of the young guys who didn't get in the game because they thought they were going to get a lot of playing time, <laughs> and they didn't because the game was a little bit closer. So I, I, don't, I don't look at this and say, oh, let's nitpick and make sure. Sh- like, if there were physical errors, I think you say, okay, that's fine. We'll dismiss that. It's the mental errors that would concern me. And, and actually, what I would say is I thought that the players on the defensive side of the ball in particular were in the right spot. They just didn't always make the play. Um, particularly when you talk about the explosive plays, that was something that I thought was 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 good because against Arkansas there were plays where they just didn't do the right thing. You know they were playing off coverage, still got beat deep. They were you know in one coverage and you know one guy was going rogue and playing something different. That didn't happen against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt made some nice plays in one on one coverage. There were a, there was the one play for the touchdown that had a bunch of missed tackles, but missed tackles are physical. That's not a mental mistake. You're in the right place. You just didn't make the tackle. So. I think there's some good you can take out of the Vanderbilt game. I, I don't think it's all negative. I don't think it's something where you say, oh, you know, these guys weren't necessarily prepared, except for the first drive. The first drive was a little bit concerning. But, um, you know, again, I, I just – I try not to – it's the same thing with recruiting. I never get two up or two down with one particular recruit. The question is when you look at the whole body of work the recruiting class, how does it compare? And I'm never going to sit there and go, oh, a five-star committed, so that makes everything okay. Well, that's not true if every other guy in your class is a three-star. But I'm also not going to see a three-star commit and go, oh, this three-star you, they never – they never recruit anybody. It's like, hey, the entire class, what does that look like? And I think we need to say that the Vanderbilt game is an addition to the entire portfolio of this Florida team. And the question is, what does it say about it? Well, it says that Florida can come out not really ready to play and can still beat a bad team by three touchdowns. And I think that's a significant thing. And I think those are things that good teams do. I think they beat bad teams even when they're not necessarily completely jacked to play. And that's what Florida did this past weekend. Well, uh, well put there, and I think you know that's why we'll, we'll look into the defense here because some of the issues we saw on defense versus Vanderbilt were some of the issues that we've seen all season or earlier in the season, and they've crept back up uh, a bit. You did you, you mentioned I'll get into explosive plays a bit here in a little bit, but yeah, they did, did much better there compared to the week before uh, against Arkansas. But of course, you know as we look ahead. As we look back a bit, you know, the biggest question still remains uh, on the defensive side uh, of the ball for the Gators. Seven games played, and there's been a little bit of improvement. but still a ways to go if Florida wants to win the SEC or the college football playoff. Offense is good enough to be in and win every game, but the defense is going to have to figure out some things with the season winding down. So, Monday, Dan Mullen had his uh, press conference here, and um, I wanted to ask on Saturday uh, after the game, but uh, away games, very limited in time uh, to try to give people who travel (laughs) the the chance to ask the question since they went through (laughs) the rigors of travel. Uh, Everything understandable there. So we get a little bit more time with him on Monday. So I asked Mullen about the communication issues on defense. I know the fan base really wanted to to hear about this. It's been the, the hot topic kind of on defense so far. Uh, and Mullen said, you know, they're getting a lot of tempo teams. Defense is late getting a the call. They're trying to get lined up fast. But when teams go fast, you have to adjust to get lined up as fast as possible. He said you don't see that if they throw a pass out of bounds. But if they run it, the ref will spot the ball quicker uh, than if the pass is thrown out of bounds. Have to be more aware of how fast it's going to hit Teams do that. 
Uh, that's an offensive strategy, and there's pluses and minuses to it. He also pointed out that Vanderbilt had one where they snapped it with a receiver not even lined up right, cost them a drive there. So, um, But, look, then, then I followed up right away. I said, well, you know, why is it still happening in game seven? And he said, just pretty much teams are going as fast as possible. <laughs> so, uh, okay, here's my thing, you know. Don't you think teams are picking up on that? It's a, it's an issue right now in Game Seven. You know, so I, I'm not sure. You know, Kentucky and Tennessee will try all that much in the next couple of games because that's not really their style of play. But you'll probably see it a bit more uh, from those two teams than you normally would because they, you know, they won't. They're going to try and make Florida prove that they can stop it and try and steal a couple scores early, kind of like some of these other teams have. So you know, once again, to me, it's just kind of will and uh, hit at home yesterday. It's just inexcusable to me. At, this point in the season, the issue exists, uh, let alone year three with plenty of experience on, the, on that side of the ball. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that most of the time you would see Mullen or Grantham call timeout in some of those situations where they got caught without necessarily having everybody lined up. So it's a little bit more visible because Vanderbilt was able to score. The the, the play I think most people think about is the one where Kyrie Elam got caught um, where he was sort of talking to, I think, a linebacker about who was going to be covering, and neither one of them had inside leverage, and then the, the ball goes inside and it turns into a touchdown. Um, and then Elam afterwards said, you know, the call needs to come in a little bit quicker. And I, Look, if the player saying the call, that he was trying to communicate the call when the ball was snapped, that's obviously an issue. But I don't know that that's an issue with the players. Right? Right. I mean, at mm-hmm. some point you look at that and say, that's a communication issue between the coaches and the players. But if the call's coming in late, then that then that's on the coaches. But again, I think for the most part in a big game, in a big situation, you call a timeout. I think you sort of work your way through it in a game against Vanderbilt. Maybe they were trying to put a few new things in. Maybe they were trying to give the players more than they could handle. Maybe they were trying to make a point to some of the players who maybe didn't practice all well, real well this week. And, uh, you know, I mean, you just don't know. I mean, I do think that's part, part of it. That, that last part you said is, I think, a really good point. Uh, you know, I don't know the inner workings of what's going on with the communication. I know that I picked Florida to give up 21 points this week. I think you picked them to give up 20. Yep. And they gave up 17. So they exceeded my expectations in terms of their ability to stop Vanderbilt from scoring. <laughs> and after the first, and it looked like Vanderbilt was going to put up 40 after the first quarter. I mean, they mm-hmm. scored 10 points in the first quarter, and they looked damn near unstoppable there in the first the first couple of drives. And from then on the Florida defense really sort of tightened up until they got to the end where they let up a little bit and gave up the one big play. But, um, you know, I think it was a better performance than it has been, but I don't expect perfection from this Florida defense. What I expect is not being completely run off the field like they were against Texas A&M. So, you know, Three or four years ago, I remember, it was the first year I was on the Gators Breakdown podcast. All we did was every week beg for progress <laughs> from Jim McElwain and Doug Nussmeyer on the offensive side of the ball. And no third and, every and, week, and no third long play actions. That too. And <laughs> every week they would go out there and score 20 points. And we'd be like, why does it never get any better? Why is it the exact same thing? Just Groundhog Day week after week after week. And no matter and the opponent. We, yeah, right. And I don't think we can say that about this Florida defense now certainly you would love to see a shutout against Vanderbilt it's sort of juxtaposed next to the 63 to 3 shellacking that Alabama just put on Kentucky Um, so you know it looks like Alabama's defense is starting to turn the corner but again Kentucky's offense is terrible so I actually think the game against Kentucky coming up is going to be a pretty good gauge in terms of where Florida is because Kentucky is so one-dimensional when it comes to their offense right now and so we'll get to see and you know like I said, you want to take this 
defense as an entire um, as an entire body of work. And the problem with the defense is, is that if you take the entire, if you look at the game against Vanderbilt, you go, eh, maybe it's just a little bit of an off game. And then you look at the entire body of work, and you're like, wow, that defense is pretty bad. Um, and, and so I think this was actually probably a step in the right direction. It, but it's not perfect, and I don't think we can expect it to be. Like Florida isn't going to win a lot of games, sixty-three to three. They're probably going to win some games, sixty-three to thirty-five, and mm-hmm. we just have to, you know, Florida fans are going to have to understand or have to live with, maybe not, maybe not live with or understand. <laughs> yeah. They're going to have to complain about the fact that they're winning games in that way. Is it a little bit uglier than being able to stop and get off the field and still having an explosive offense? Absolutely, but you know, the reality is, it's rare to have teams that are great on both sides of the ball. And Florida happens to have a team that's absolutely elite on the offensive side of the ball. And it's just really rare. I mean, even if you look at all the Alabama teams that won national championships, really rare that they had an offense that was just a buzzsaw and a defense that could yeah. stop everybody. For the most part, you know, it's in the Jalen Hurt side. years. Yeah. Yeah, in the Jalen Hurt years, you know, when they had Coker at quarterback, like Coker was serviceable. He wasn't winning a Heisman Trophy or anything. And, you know, when but you had an elite defense the, to pair up with it. Yeah, and probably the closest they came was when they had two at quarterback mm-hmm. where they had an elite defense and elite offense, but then the defense hasn't been that great over the last three or four years, at least for Alabama's standards. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why the recruiting matters because the more, the better you recruit, the more likely you are to get a team that's elite on both sides of the ball. So I think Clemson's probably the closest it's come to that, you know, yeah. a couple of years ago when Lawrence came in and just eviscerated Alabama in the championship game. But beyond that, you just about every year, every team has a flaw. It's just so happens that florida's flaws are all on one side of the ball and you look on the offensive side of the ball and you're like yeah they're not really great this game and then you look up and trash is thrown for 380 <laughs> yards and you're like oh well you know maybe i wasn't really paying attention like how do you throw how do you throw for almost 400 <laughs> yards and it, it, it's just because the offense is so fluid and so good and we expect them to score a touchdown every time and you know five or six years ago we expected the defense to not, never give up anything and in the fourth quarter, they wore down. So I got to tell you, I was at that 27-2 loss to Florida State there in the swamp. I was with my daughter, so it was a lot of fun. But, you know, that was miserable to watch that offense play. I'd much rather watch this. Um, yeah. It's fun to watch. And certainly there are some concerns moving forward. But, man, is it fun to watch. Yeah, you know, when we get to talk to Mullen in, in this, you know, He's not going to divulge in game plans and outing players and coaches uh, in the media setting. He's he's not going to do that. Uh, but and looking and that's part of the problem with asking some questions that the you know the fan base wants answers to from, from sometimes because the answer really isn't going to appease the masses. You know, he's that's it's just kind of the nature of the of the beast there. But he does acknowledge you know that the plays aren't getting there, and I'm sure he knows it was an issue, especially early on. Uh, but with the theme of the episode here, you know, there, there, there needs to be an initiative to get this issue fixed as the season winds down, and and there's going to be there, there's not going to be massive changes in the way Todd Grantham runs his defense and. That part is what it is. You know, it, it has become predictable uh, a bit in a, in a way. And I, and I put on Twitter today, you know, another thing about the Florida defense is, you know, third and Grantham become a thing because of giving up big plays because he brought all kinds of exotic pressure earlier on in his college tenure. And uh, now that's shifted to mostly not bringing pressure, confusion, leaving big zones in the defense. And, and, and I've said, you know, multiple times, I think it's, you know, it's players and coaches issues uh, when it looks this bad at, at points uh, of a game, you know. So, you know, something needs to be done to clean up the simple things. But, but, but when it's this late in the season, it's up to the coaches to either, you know, simplify some things or, or put guys in position. 
to, to, to get the job done. So, you know, there are reasons teams run some up-tempo on Florida. You know, it, it's just because they see the issues of confusion and lining up. Now, some of this is on the players' understanding and, and studying the defense themselves. You know, your own defense. What are you doing to understand and study the defense. You know, pre preseason Zoom meetings probably didn't help a whole lot, Will, <laughs> there. Uh, I think if you kind of go back and look at it, you know, there's some personal accountability uh, there on the aspect. But I always fall back that there's enough experience that, you know, they should know the defense inside and out, or a lot of the players should know the defense inside and out um, at this point of their careers, this point in the season. But here we are, Will, you know, everything I just expressed, still some time to, to fix this, uh, to just get better, become a more complete team, get to the point where you're peaking come, you know Alabama and Atlanta in order and in order to do that it may come down to simplifying some things playing some other players we'll get into that you know opponents are picking up on what Florida is struggling with then and that's why we've seen the starts I think uh, in the last couple of weeks you know but you know these teams aren't able to take advantage over the time of a game so you have time to work on these issues in preparation for a championship run yeah, I mean, I think this is where you actually the loss of the bye week is really important. Yep. The fact that they were using the fact that they were using that bye week to get over COVID instead of using it to get better on the field, I think is significant. Every year, you look back for the last decade. Every year during the bye week, there's something where you go, okay, this is something they need to work on. Let's see what they come out of that with. And usually, that bye week is somewhere around the Georgia game, so <laughs> you hope they come out with a wrinkle for the Bulldogs. But at the same time the bye week is always used to sort of correct the things that you couldn't correct, you know, during fall camp because you either didn't know they were there or somebody got injured or just, you know, technique isn't being done right or you're not getting the signals in fast enough. And then you couple that with the fact that they didn't have much, they didn't have any spring practice and they didn't have much in the way of of fall practice. I mean, fall practice was, was not extended that much compared to what they would have gotten during spring. And then I saw a quote from Saban, I think it was today or yesterday, where he was essentially saying that you can't teach defense against air. And so all of the things that they were trying to teach via Zoom and those sorts of things, yeah, these are seniors that are out there, but you need constant reinforcement of those sorts of things. And and I think that's kind of what you saw in the first few games. I mean, even Alabama was giving up like 42 points or something old Miss. So those things, while correctable, the the defenses do seem to be a little bit behind this year, especially teams that when they come up against an elite offense, it becomes much more difficult for, for defenses to stop things. So I'm not making an excuse. You still need to be, you know, Nick sort of rattled off on the, uh, on the podcast yesterday, all the guys and the level of experience that they have on the defensive side of the ball. And certainly they should be playing better than they are. I think they would be the first ones to tell you they should be playing better than they are at the same time. They're limited. Right. They're, they're limited in terms of either how fast they can process things. And that's maybe the thing, you know, the thing that's so impressive about Kyle Trask is how fast he processes the information on the offensive side of the ball to know where to go with the ball before it snaps. But then if you see something where the defense adjusts post snap, we've actually seen this a couple of times in the last, in the last two seasons where the defense will run a really complex zone blitz and he'll see the defensive lineman dropping back into the zone in the middle and he's able to make an adjustment. And I think maybe that's the thing that we're seeing on the defensive side of the ball is one, they're a little bit afraid of making mistakes. And so that kind of makes him a half step slow. 
But the other thing is, is that it doesn't matter how long you've been in a system if you just can't process the information fast enough. And that's what the reps do. I mean, getting out there and, you know, C.J. Henderson got every rep last year at, at one cornerback position, pretty much I'm guessing every practice and, and, and every game certainly out there at cornerback. So when you move somebody over into that spot, he's getting, he's getting those reps for the first time, even if he's more experienced. So I'm not making excuses for him. They need to be better, obviously. But I do think that's part of it is just a lack of reps and then maybe guys who don't necessarily process information quite as quickly as you'd like have the physical skills, but, but if you don't process it right off the bat and all of a sudden you start second guessing yourself, it's easy to say, well, I'll take another second or I'll take another step back and then bam, the slants in front of you. Right. Or, or you end up taking a bad angle one time. So the next time you hang back a little bit to make uh-huh. sure you don't take a bad angle, those sorts of things. And then the one mistake compounds into the next mistake because you're being tentative. And, and that's maybe the place where the young guys have started to bring a little bit of a, of an edge in particular, I'm thinking about Hopper coming in, making that big tackle that everybody sort of retweeted um, where he lowered his head and drilled somebody with his shoulder. Um, and, and then you think about this, the kind of uh, the kind of energy that Rashad Torrance has brought from the safety position, being able to come up in particular, um, you know, the game against Missouri. I know he was mm-hmm. really active in terms of coming up and making stops. Hopefully that rubs off. Hopefully those are some things that, uh, you know, that the, they'll give them more playing time. And especially on the, at the safety position, they have been bringing in some younger guys. Trey Dean got in there at safety again um, this week. So they are doing some rotations. They are trying to make some changes. Um, but, you know, at some point, you just got to get the guy on the ground. And they gave up 10 points to start with. And then that one touchdown, you know, Davis missed the tackle. And then Steiner just rode the guy for like 10 yards and then still didn't get him to the ground. Um, those are things that obviously can't happen at the same time. You know, I don't know what you want the coaches to do on that one. <laughs> That's something where you just got to tackle the guy. That's what I'm saying. That's why I say it's always a combo of coaches and players because one play, it might be where you can blame it on the coaches and not getting to play in. But then the very next play, it might be, like you said, Sean Davis is completely whiffing and missing on tackles and the, player, the offense is off to the races. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, as I said, when it, when it looks totally bad at times, it, you, you can put blame on, on both sides there, Will. And, and a lot of things you said about, you know, the mental reps and the COVID and then also not being able to play it to, up to your ability. Look, that's probably one of my favorite phrases in sports. Two things can be true at the same time. <laughs> I mean, you know, so it, it, that's well, and, nature and, of the beast I, sometimes. Well, and I think there's a good example of it. If, if you look at Diabate early in the year, he looked completely overwhelmed with the linebacker position, especially when he was asked to be put into coverage. He looks like a real linebacker He's, now. He is getting and, better, yep. And, and so, you know, the young guy who everybody's been clamoring for is starting to get playing time as he's getting reps in practice, becoming more comfortable with what the coaching staff's asking him to do, and all of a sudden he's starting to flash a little bit. And, you know, that that's, that's all you can ask, right, is mm-hmm. that – the guys who get on the field, get on the field so that they can, so that they can show what they can do once they've earned that playing time during practice. And one of the things I pointed out in my article is I know there are probably guys who are frustrated with their playing time. In fact, we saw it on Twitter after the game, but Florida hasn't blocked a kick, hasn't blocked a punt and hasn't blocked a PAT all year. And we're always talking about depth and how depth can be, should play into special teams and, you know, win your spot by winning, winning time on special teams. And and that's the sort of thing that I I think I'd like to see. I'd like to see some of these guys who maybe aren't getting playing time, go excel on special teams, go block a punt. You block a punt, you block a kick. I will stump for you to play middle linebacker the entire Mm. time after that, because you completely swing a game when you do that sort of stuff. We, you know, 
those like that's just as good as a turnover. And when you're not getting a ton of turnovers on the defensive side of the ball, sometimes you need special teams to change the momentum. And, you know, Tony had a really nice kick, had a really nice return at some point. And then that was called back because of a, because of a hold or a block in the back. So, you know, I, I would like to see more contributions from some of the younger guys there. That's the place where I think if, if you can really flash and you've got the skill, you ought to be able to show there. And then once you start showing it there, then the coaches are going to trust you with more responsibility when it's time to put you on the field for the defense. Good stuff. Good stuff. And we'll get into uh, a little bit of those, uh, you know, players that we uh, like to see. We've kind of brought it up a little bit with the, the linebacker core. That's where we'll go next uh, there. But before we do, it's my bookie's third annual Turkey Day free play returns this Thanksgiving Thursday. It's your chance to bet up to $250 risk-free on the early Thanksgiving game. The Turkey Day free play is a no-risk, all-gravy wager on the full game spread. Pick the right team, and you win. If your team is upset, your bet up to $250 is refunded before the next afternoon game. New players will get a free $20 wager to get some skin in on the game. It's low risk, high reward, which makes this offer a no-brainer. That's a free $20 bet to use on anything in the sports book, and it's completely on the house. You can't beat free, and you certainly cannot beat free money. Sign up at MyBookie today and use our promo code GATERS to claim your deposit bonus. The best part is, that's only the beginning. MyBookie has promotions all holiday, weekend long. Turkey Day free play is Thanksgiving Thursday. That rolls into Black Friday boosted odds and finishes the holiday strong with the buy one, get one free Cyber Monday night football. That's why my bookie, they call football season winning season. Check it out now. No risk, all gravy. Don't forget to use promo code GATERS to claim all these freebies this week at my bookie. So, well, next time, uh, I got to follow up, uh, you know, the question to, to, there to, to Mullen about, um, you know, paces of the offense, kind of confusing the defense there, and followed it up with uh, everybody wanting to know about the linebackers <laughs> and um, these young linebackers that, that got a good bit of playing time uh, against Vanderbilt. I think fans wanted more because you expected more of a blowout. You wanted to see uh, some of these linebackers there. But, look, you know, a, a few weeks ago, Kentucky beat up Georgia the week before the Florida-Georgia game. And look, now we know Ventrell Miller's banged up. We saw it a couple times against Vanderbilt uh, on Saturday. You know, but fans want to see more of Diabate, as you mentioned, Tyron Hopper, Josiah Pierre. I mean, really, and his limited showing there against Vanderbilt really showed up uh, there. So, you know, especially how all these players performed against Vanderbilt, fans want to see more of it. So I asked Mullen about these two players in particular, uh, Hopper and Pierre, and Mullen said, you know, you'll see them still. He goes, we'll, we, um, we'll see how they practice this week, and we'll see how practice goes. Uh, and then Mullen followed that up with, neither one of them graded out as champions, but they've done a decent job preparing, and they will play more. So uh, later in the press conference, you know, Mullen says he likes to play of a, he, he likes to play a lot of players, uh, keeps them fresh, gets everyone interested in the game, creates depth and experience, and he highlighted the wide receiver position there and how – so many of those guys getting on the field, waiting, but you know, waiting their turn, but getting on the field and then producing when they're out there. So, you know, of course, fans out there responded, "Why isn't that happening on defense as much?" So, uh, you noticed it. You kind of mentioned it. I noticed it. Florida did play a lot of players versus Vanderbilt uh, on Saturday. Uh, you know, and it's a given that that's going to happen in the secondary. Kind of just the nature of what Todd Grantham and and what they have done uh, in the secondary the last couple of years, but. Many want to see it happen earlier in the games. Maybe that helps with getting lined up. Maybe that helps with players making play on the ball. Maybe that helps players tackle better. You know, there are when when, when there are, when there are plays there to be made, 
Maybe some new players make them earlier in these games. Uh, Mullen said right after the game that you know they needed to assess how they roll players in. But that's what we heard after the Texas A&M game as well. And it seems like we're back at that point uh, again of having to reassess who's being used when and where. So, you know, there's a reason fans were excited to see Hopper flying out there, flying around, making plays. You mentioned the big hit. Uh, he and Pierre correctly filling their gaps, making tackles. They played the basics well, and I think that's what got a lot of people probably more excited than anything. Uh, and that was later in the game, uh, but at least they showed it. You're on mute, Will. <laughs> 2020. 2020. <laughs> something else. So I, I think that, you know, in the A&M game, when Florida was getting blown off the ball, um, they got down to the goal line, and one of the things that was a little bit surprising was Dante Lang was in there at linebacker. And Lang's a good player, but he's a tight end, right? And and they've been converting him over to linebacker. So it's disturbing that you would have a linebacker in the game or that you would have a tight end playing linebacker in the game rather than some of these young guys. Yeah, he's, he has that, shifted to, to defensive line, linebacker, just kind of moving around there. But since that point, you know, against Missouri and against Georgia, Hopper's gotten a little bit of time. Now, some of that's been on special teams, but that's kind of what I was talking about is that, you know, you start out on special teams and then you sort of develop from there. Then against Arkansas, you had four tackles, a tackle for a loss and a half a sack, and then three tackles against Vanderbilt and obviously showed out really well. You look at you look at Josiah Pierre, you know, not really any playing time. Then he had one tackle against Missouri, has sat out a couple of games, and now all of a sudden four tackles against Vanderbilt. I do suspect that what's happening is, is that these guys are starting to earn playing time during practice and that they're putting them on the field because they, they now believe they can be trusted in at least some situations when they're out there on the field. But, you know, the reality is, is that the guys who are out there are starting to make inroads. So Zach Carter now, 21 tackles, two and a half sacks. Britton Cox had just a play where he was completely, where he was really explosive coming off the edge and, and got Neil around the legs because he sort of lost his footing as he was coming around. But 29 tackles, two and a half sacks, six tackles for loss. Ventrell Miller is starting to play, but, you know, they're leading, they're leading tackler. We mentioned Diabate, 31 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss. So those guys who were – and then, then Kyrie Campbell already at two and a half tackles for loss and one and a half sacks, even though he missed, you know, the first three games. And he's coming so, off his career the, high game. Yeah, so the rotation up front in terms of the front seven is really starting to take shape. And certainly guys like Chris Bogle, who've been in the program for a couple of years now, you know, he has one and a half sacks. Jeremiah Moon's at a sack. Um, Gervon Dexter had a really nice game the other day, six tackles. He's only got 11 on the entire year. So the freshmen are starting to fill gaps. But the freshmen, you're not a championship team if freshmen are playing major, major, major minutes Um in in lots of different areas. I mean, maybe you supplement one guy. They, and, and you sort of they, saw they this. fill the gaps. Of, you know, if they're really good, they fill the gaps of a championship team. That's what freshmen do. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, like the best example of that would be a couple of years ago with Trevor Lawrence, right? I mean, Clemson knew that Kelly Bryant wasn't good enough to win them the championship. They bring in Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence was more of a game manager that year than people remember because he played lights out against Alabama. Right, exactly. But that was really the first time that he played that well the entire year. Other than that, he had the potential to explode, but never really exploded, at least not at that sort of level. And I think I don't even know if he's played that. even that well since. 
Well, that's true too. But he also didn't play for like the first three or four games of the year, right? So it wasn't like he started as a true freshman. They lived with, you know, he sort of lived through his lumps. In fact, the Syracuse game that I mentioned earlier was mm-hmm. his first start. Kelly Bryant had transferred after they announced that he was going to be the starter. Then Lawrence went down with a concussion, and all of a sudden they've got their third string quarterback in there, which is one of the reasons why they barely won that game. So I say all that to say that we're seven games into a season where they didn't have any spring practice. And so bringing these guys along, I think expecting true freshmen to step in and excel is probably a bit much. I think maybe the surprise has been that the redshirt freshmen haven't necessarily contributed as much as you would have expected them to. But again, it's not like they're not playing true freshmen. And Rashad Torrance has 24 tackles at this point. Um, you know, Kyrie Elam played all last year pretty much, ex- you know, pretty much exclusively um, after game three or four. He was out there a lot. They've got Dexter out there right now. Um, you know, like you said, Hopper and Pierre starting to get more time. So it's not as though they don't play true freshmen. It's just, you got to earn your time. And, and uh, you know, if it comes down to a senior and a true freshman and they're basically equivalent, I think Mullen and Grantham have shown that they're going to stick with the guy who's a little bit older in the system. I think that makes sense. So the question then becomes the young guys have to come along far enough to where you can pull the older guy out when you have an opportunity and and they're going to do that. I'm, I'm assuming that's going to happen a lot more often now than it would have four or five games ago. Unfortunately, you got bit by A&M when you didn't have those options. But um, that to me is sort of the thing that's going to advance over the next three or four weeks is how often do those true freshmen or redshirt freshmen come in when there are mistakes made by the older guys? Because up until now, they haven't had that ability. Yeah, yeah the other side of that argument, where I was, about, I was kind of going to go there is, you know, the 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 complaint has been, well, if the veterans are going to struggle anyway, are they really that much better than a freshman out there struggling in the same in the same spot? So, yeah, I mean, so you could make the same argument, and people did with Felipe Franks years ago, right? Ah, oh, bring somebody else in. Franks is struggling, and maybe they should have because it turns out that his backup is a Heisman level guy. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe this is a terrible argument because if they'd have brought Trask in earlier, maybe that season in 2018 turns out exactly like it. You know, maybe we get a full season from Trask last year. It's funny. I, I was having that conversation with somebody too. And I was like, I remember going to practice in 2018 and 2019. Now maybe the spring game, probably Trask did look better than Franks or whatever, but I remember going to the practices in 2018 and 2019 and Franks did look like the better quarterback, you know, 2018, the, the whole season in preseason 2019 uh, when we got to go to practices, you know, it never once entered my mind that Trask was the better quarterback. Yeah. Well, all I remember is Trask throwing a pick six to John Huggins in the spring. Game <laughs> yeah. going, Ooh, that memo was telegraphed. <laughs> like, wow, you can't throw that out there. So, but either way who claimed yeah. anybody who claims they saw what was coming from Trask is, is lying. They yeah. didn't No, I'll give and a lot of credit hope- for people who wanting to see him because they were excited in what they did see, but I don't think anybody saw what we're seeing. Sure. So, I mean, I, I go back to the same general thing is if you've got a guy who's got three years in the system and you have a history with him and you know how good he can be, you've seen it on film, then I think you have hope that if he has a couple of bad games, that's not necessarily representative of how he's going to play, that you figure it's going to be a much quicker path to restore that person's confidence than it's going to be to get the freshman who you haven't seen on film play that way in an SEC schedule. 
up to the point where he's going to play equivalent. It, it's a question of, you know, you got some guy with three years of experience, some guys with n- none. Now, certainly the guy with no experience may have a higher ceiling, but what does it take to get him there? And, and so I think the answer is neither, or the answer is both, right? It's you have to pour into the older guy because if the younger guy doesn't come along fast enough, you need somebody with like your floor is the older guy playing you know, somewhat poorly, but your ceiling is maybe the more skilled guy playing better in game eight or nine. And let's be honest, the the thing that Florida needs is somebody who can stop Alabama and Mac Jones three or four weeks from now, not worried about whether you give up a big play against Vanderbilt. So I, I think you work people in, you figure out all the different things that you can do. And, and then you look at the guys who are getting targeted and say, Hey, are we okay with him being targeted are the things we can do. Can we roll coverage over in that direction? That's one of the things, you know, Marco Wilson was left one-on-one a lot in that game the other day against Vanderbilt. And for the most part, acquitted himself fairly decently. There was a one play where the receiver went up over his head and and caught the ball, but he was in the right position. I don't recall busted coverages like we saw against Texas A&M. So if that's the case, like there weren't a lot of guys running free. Like that's been sort of the complaint even after the AM game is you look back to the Missouri game. You're like, yeah, there were a lot of drops and there were guys running free. Alabama will take advantage of that. And against Arkansas, Frank's even hit some of the guys who were running free. You're like, yeah, that's really going to be a problem. Against Vanderbilt, there weren't a lot of guys running free. Sometimes you play man-on-man coverage and your guy just gets beat. And, you know, and, the, it's, the magnif- against- and it's magnified because of how you know, poorly some people think the defense are playing. Sure, and, but the play where Wilson got got on the on the deep throw where where the guy jumped over him. Okay, I don't think the guy makes that play every time. You know, it's sort of a fifty fifty ball. The play where Stewart got beat one on one coverage, but was right there and basically was waving his hands right in the, you know, right in the hands of the receiver. Just couldn't quite make contact with the ball. You got to live with that. Sometimes you're in one on one coverage and the and the offense is just better. The quarterback drops it in in a place where the defensive back can't get it. He's right on his hip, makes the tackle. Those didn't turn into touchdowns. The only one that I look at and say. Ooh, is is the one where they didn't tackle the guy. So um, I, I think the defense is improving. I think people don't necessarily see that because they see the big plays, they see the yards that are given up, and then they look at the opponent and go, ugh, Vanderbilt. Like, we should be holding them to 180 yards. And, yes, Florida's defense from three or four years ago would have held Vanderbilt to 170, 180 yards. This isn't that defense, and that defense isn't coming through the door, right? I mean, it, it's, it is what it is. There are limitations to the players on the defensive side of the ball, and we're going to have to live with that, and that's why people like us are picking, you know, 21 points for Vanderbilt. The, the nice part is the offense could put up 50, so you expect to win a game where you give up 21 points, but that, that should probably be the expectation is the defense, I think, was giving up like 33 points a game coming into this one, so to only give up, 17 is a step to not see a bunch of busted coverages out there is a step. And I know that's not the step people want because they want it to be perfect, you know, against a team like Vanderbilt and certainly just want it to get improved much, much quicker than it has been. But it's sort of the same thing we said last year about the offensive line, the progress that the offensive line made last year had to be measured with the baseline where they started and the baseline when they started against Miami was run blocking is atrocious. <laughs> and so by the time you got to that Virginia game, by the end of the year, the run blocking was serviceable. Didn't mean it was fantastic. It was serviceable. And and that's kind of, I think what when you look at for the defense, you look at where they were against old mess and what they were, I mean, they were getting torched short. They were getting torched long. Like it didn't matter. They couldn't stop corral at all. And then they couldn't stop the run in that game either. They haven't had as much trouble in the running game, except for the one play against Arkansas. 
pretty much since the Texas A&M game. So that part of it has been yeah. shored up, I think, a lot by Kyrie Campbell being in there. And now they're slowly improving from that baseline that they showed early in the year. Can we play it's further not- up now and stop the slant? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... <laughs> Probably not. I mean, because the, the the issue is, is when you play up like that, right. then they're you're afraid of giving them a big play. Yep. And and if you if you were Grantham, and you said, okay, I either have the and and if you know your defense, and I'm guessing that the defense has some confidence problems. If you know your defense is a little bit fragile from a confidence perspective, and you're trying to protect them from that, and you're playing a team that you don't think is all that explosive, you want them to go on a 14 play drive all the way down the field. Like make them make them make plays. And in fact, Vanderbilt kind of did that in the second drive, right? I mean, they drove all the way down the field for that second drive, then brought in their backup quarterback when they got down the red zone, stalled and kicked a field goal. Like if Florida gives up field goals, Florida's winning the game, Uh, whoever they play, right? I mean, the, the goal is obviously to get three and outs and punts and turnovers, but if all they do is give up field goals against Alabama, they're going to win. So uh, I I think progress is something we need to really think about what that means because it's not going to be perfect. And, and I'm okay with that. I think Florida's coaches are okay with that. I doubt the Twitterati will be okay with that, but you know, there's going to be guys who get beat every once in a while, um, but it's getting better. I think when you look at the film, it's getting better. I think that's an encouraging thing. It's just, okay, what's our baseline? The baseline for the offense in Old Miss was, wow, this is a really good offense. So then you look at the Arkansas game and you're like, they're unstoppable. And you sort of think that they're, you know, they, they fully maximize their potential. I get the frustration that you have this elite offense and the defense is struggling, but you know, Hey, six and one and, and you know, an opportunity to play for the sec championship. I I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, and kind of scrolling through Twitter here, just cause I knew some players were talking tonight. Chris Bogle was asked on a scale of one to 10, how complex is Todd Grantham's defense? Quote, I would say a 10. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> so, yeah, there we go. Kind of, you know, following some of the, the earlier theme there uh, for, for this. So uh, one more thing, uh, Will, kind of the explosive plays here for, for, for the defense. You know, Mullen said they don't get, kind of going to your point a bit too and what you you brought up. Mullen said they don't get upset at big plays by opposing offenses when the other team plays great offense. I mean, well, I mean, it is your job to stop them, but I digress. Uh, sometimes, you know, teams are going to make plays. That's true. You know, it, it's, it's, more when they when Florida makes a mistake, that's when they have an issue. Uh, off, look, offenses are going to make plays. That's just the the sport right now. That's the game right now. But you know, I wanted to take a look at the trend of big plays and how it compares for Florida. It's just Todd Grantham's been here, so I got uh, every you know basically every ten yard difference here, starting with twenty yards. Uh, so in plays of twenty plus yards, um, you know. It, it looks better, but that's kind of where the comparison stops. Uh, Florida has given up 27 plays of 20-plus yards this year, 51 in 2019, 58 in 2018. So that's 3.85 plays per game this year compared to 3.9 last season. So very similar and actually better than 2018 when it was 4.46. So that's 4.46 20-plus yard games two years ago. But it does get worse from there as the uh, distance goes up there. So Florida has given up 18 30-plus yard plays so far in seven games this season, 23 last season in 13 games, and 24 in 2018 in 13 games. 2.6 plays per game that are 30-plus yards compared to 1.77 in last year, 1.85 a game in 2018. So now we go to 40-plus yard plays 
And this is kind of where it, it uh, kind of starts getting a little ugly here. 40-plus yards plays, 11 so far this season for the Gators' defense. 2018 and 2019 only have 13 in six game, six more, six more games so far, Will. So, 40-plus yard plays, 11 so far this season for the Gators in seven games. 2018, 2019 only have 13 in six more games so far. Florida has given up seven plays of 50-plus yards this season. That's good for one per game right now. In 2019, the, Gator, the Gators only gave up six in 13 games. In 2018, five plays of 50-plus yards in 13 games. So, well, that's where the, the, the big plays, really the 50-plus the 50 yarders there. Almost one a game, or one a game so far, and more already than last year when you played 13 games, and uh, barely, barely. Uh, and anyway, 2018 was five plays of 50-plus yards. So, they've already out-totaled those in the last two years. I think that's a fair criticism that Florida, when they give up big plays, it's turning into a touchdown. That they're not giving up a 35-yard play, making the tackle and then forcing a field goal, or making the offense work harder to get into the end zone. Oftentimes, those big plays turn into touchdowns, even if you know a 30-yard catch and then you push the guy out of bounds. It still flips the field and oftentimes leads to scoring. But the 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 issue has been that a guy gets behind Elam and then it's a touchdown, right? That's sort of the Arkansas. Um, Yet Elam and Kembro, I think, both get beaten by Woods for for Arkansas in that game, those big long plays, not only are they 50 plus yards, but they turn into touchdowns. But I actually, so if you think about it, I I looked back, I didn't realize you were going to bring this up, but the, uh, in the, the game against Vanderbilt, they only gave up three explosive plays, 39 points per game. But in the other 65, they gave up 4.4 yards per play. Say say that again, Will. So in the other 65 plays that they had, they gave up 4.4 yards per play. Okay. So if you subtract the explosive plays, same thing against, uh, against uh, Arkansas, they gave up four explosive plays. But if you take that out, the other 47 plays, they gave up 4.7 yards per play. So 4.4 and 4.7. If you go and you look at the Miami game from last year, they gave up five explosive plays. Averaged 32 yards per play on those. But then of the other 61 plays, they averaged 2.3 yards per play. So, and I suspect that if you look at all the games last year, that that's going to be the story. That the story was they gave up big plays, but they were also making big plays and and getting sacks and, and being very disruptive. And so the overall average on those plays that weren't explosive was relatively low. So the offense didn't, the opposing offense didn't do much unless they were hitting those big plays. And the problem that Florida's running into right now is that it's not an either or, it's a both. <laughs> it's a it's a they hit the slant on third and 7 to get the first down and extend it and then the next play hit that 50-yard 50 50-yard 50 throw for a touchdown whereas last year they were preventing the slant and then maybe the next and then they get the punt and then the next time out the the defense gives up the 50-yard play and everybody goes, "Oh, they just hit a big play." But other than that, the defense played well. And we've talked earlier this year about Grantham's defenses tending to have like a quarter where they would shut mm-hmm. down the opposing offense and give Florida's offense a chance, three or four shots to really extend the lead. That hasn't happened a whole lot this year. And one of the reasons that hasn't happened is because when you're giving up four and a half yards per play, you don't really get off the field that much. So to your point, I think maybe the next step is getting those guys to start playing a little bit closer, starting to take away those slants because you know they're coming. 
And as they do that, they're going to give up some big plays and you're just going to have to live with it along the way. But the hope is by the time you get to the Alabama game, you'd be back where you were sort of at the beginning of last year where on a per play basis, you're being disruptive, but you're still going to give up big plays just because when you play man to man, and you play the type of defense Grantham plays, you're going to give up big plays. The problem that they're running into is teams that can convert third downs have been able to do that pretty consistently. And and one of the things that's unclear to me is whether the improvement on the defense is more of a mirage because mm-hmm. Vanderbilt, Georgia, and, and Missouri – are and Arkansas are pretty bad when it comes to third down conversions and Texas A&M and Old Miss are like at the top when it comes to third down conversions um, in, in terms of their ranking over the year. We're, we aren't really going to find out and until good, we play Alabama and good quarterback play and good quarterback play, but we're not really going to find out until we right. get to the Alabama game because Alabama is both an elite offense and they're elite on third down. And so if there's been progression from the Florida defense, we'll see it there, but you know, it's a tough ask. I mean, Alabama's a really good team. Obviously, you still have to finish off the season with the games that we have left, um, you know, with, with Kentucky and, and Tennessee and potentially LSU. But, you know, we're going to find out. And and Grantham and Mullen are going to have to face the music if it turns out their guys haven't gotten good enough over the course of the of the 10-game season. Or maybe they'll be proven right because they stuck with the guys who then end up making big plays. And how poetic would it be if Marco Wilson got the game-sealing interception against <laughs> Alabama? Like, I'm not sure I could be happier for anybody because, you know, irrespective of whether – um, whether a guy plays well or not, it really does just stink to see him get dumped on all the time. And so, you know, the, the defensive backs have really sort of gotten the ire of Gator Nation and, and, and in some cases deservedly so. And in some cases they've clapped back, which has made the noise a little bit louder as well. But, um, you know, all will be forgiven if there's a game ceiling interception by one of those guys when it comes down to that big game in the SEC championship. So that's actually what I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for a close game where the offense gets a little bit stymied and the defense finally has to step up and win one. I'm not sure that that would turn out in Florida's favor real well, but that would be an awesome ending. <laughs> it definitely would be. Will, to your point, man, absolutely. Everything Florida does is getting compared to the with the likely matchup versus Alabama in the SEC championship game. That's just the scope everybody's looking at. It. Fair or unfair? I said that yesterday, but that's that's the nature of the bees that we're in right now. Uh, you know, so I caution fans, you know, with, with this for that reason. You know, Florida isn't playing Alabama next week. You know, there's still some time to figure some things out. You know, the, the issues that Florida needs to fix aren't going to be fixed in a flash. It will take some time. You know, now does that excuse some of the issues we're seeing? It, absolutely not, but but it's going to be a build-up to that point for the rest of the season. Now, I, I do expect Mullen to, you know, to, to you know, help diagnose you know, who's playing on that side of the ball, something Grantham should be doing as well, but you know, it's not an overnight fix. That's the reality. Um, you know, and, I, and I have no problem looking at it from the – from the versus Bama lens, but, you know, also acknowledge that there's still some time to work on it, still some times to fix it. The teams aren't playing tomorrow, uh, you know, but uh, hope, hope has to be they, they, they fix those issues as, as we move forward. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, so I liken it to you don't fix a gunshot wound by cutting off the patient's leg. And and so, but the gunshot wound is still a, <laughs> is still a difficult thing. Like the, the person, you still have to treat it, right? And so the question then is what's the treatment? And the guy still limps after he's been shot and all those sorts of things. And maybe that's an imperfect analogy, but that's kind of what I think of when I think of the defense is, you know, there are, there, there are some wounds here. And the question is, how do you fix it? And you're not going to fix it by just saying, oh, 
you're all better. You can't pretend it's not there. You got to, you got to improve. You got to actually treat the wound. But if you just cut off the leg and put in somebody else and say, Oh, do better. Like that's not necessarily just throwing that guy to the wolves. Isn't going to do you much good either. So I, I think that, Florida in a difficult circumstance with limited capabilities from a practice perspective is doing, you know, Mullen and Grantham are doing what they think is the best thing to do. Time's going to tell, you know, next year, if they've got some guy who's, uh, you know, who's been sitting on the bench this year, who turns out winning some postseason award for being the best in his position. And, and if they happen to lose against Alabama, obviously that would be something that will be brought up repeatedly at the same time. Um, you know, the, the same people who yell at me that I need to trust Mullen when it comes to recruiting are the same ones yelling that something needs to be done at the cornerback <laughs> position. And I, I trust these guys way more to to make adjustments on the field than than I do looking at their recruiting record saying, oh, that'll clearly improve. I mean, I, it is what it is on the recruiting side. You can argue with me or, or not. But what I would say is when it comes to on-field stuff, Mullen has a track record for getting more out of his guys than his recruiting his recruiting record states. I think he has a track record of competing against teams that normal, you know, other coaches would not. And I think he has a track record of proving that he knows what he does, that he knows what he's doing. And so, you know, is it perfect? No, I don't think it's going to be perfect. And I think he knows it's not going to be perfect, which is why he can't one. He's not going to throw his players under the bus. But the other thing is, is that there is no perfect fix. You do the best you can with what you got. You say, okay, I've got a perfect offense or a very, you know, a near perfect offense and I've got limitations on defense. How do I mask those limitations? How do I, what he said when he first came in, how do I put guys in a position where they are best equipped to succeed? And right now they think that's some of the veterans, obviously the fans feel differently, but you know, like I said, just lopping off somebody's leg doesn't make them automatically better from the gunshot wound. And, and I understand that when the blood is coming out, you're saying, Oh my God, we got to do something, but just doing something isn't always the right solution. And I think, again, we're starting to see progress and that's all you can ask for is the baseline was pretty bad at the beginning of the year. We're starting to see it progress and to say, Oh, well let's throw out the baby with the bathwater and just, you know, scrap things. doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. Work the freshmen in to get them more reps, make sure that if there are guys who aren't doing what they're supposed to do during practice or off the field, that there are repercussions for that because you've got young guys ready to take their spots. But, and then at the same time, build into those older guys, because at some point, these guys who are, who are not getting the reps right now or who are getting limited reps right now as freshmen are going to be juniors and seniors. And then they will very much appreciate that they're given the benefit of the doubt when the new young guys come in and try to take their spots. And building that into the culture, I think, is important, too, that you have to win the spot. It's not just given to you because the guy in front of you is struggling. Good point. Good point there. Good point for sure. Uh, Will, quickly, let's uh, we'll talk tight ends uh, here for a second. You, you you highlighted some stuff in your article that have been a big uh, big point of emphasis, uh, a positivity. Uh, around. I mean, of course, you know, the whole offense is, but if you want to look at that position, man, uh, some some good, good things coming from that. So since the Georgia game, Kyle Pitts goes down, of course, um, and Gamble, six catches, 117 yards, three touchdowns. Deion Zipperer, four catches, 86 yards, two touchdowns uh, since then. So, uh, look, and it's only eight receptions. I, just, I tweeted this right before we went live. It's only eight receptions, but Kamori Gamble is second on the team in average yards per reception at 17.8. So, only behind Xavier Henderson's uh, 18.2 average on six catches. So, for comparison, Kadarius Toney, 42 catches, 12-yard average. Pitts, 24 catches, 17.3-yard average. Grimes, 22 catches, 15.8. 
uh, average there. So, of course, those guys getting used more. It skews the stats a bit. But just kind of looking at some of the production there, that's what Kamori Gamble's bringing to the table right now. And, look, props to Tim Brewster, too. I know we lauded the hire when it was made, going back to his track record and going back to, to who he's put in the league and, and, and how he's used tight ends. Two tight end commits on board right now, Gage Wilcox, Nick Elks, Elksness on board. You know, and we've heard plenty of tight end recruits who <clears throat> tight end recruits as well this preseason or this this season out there mention how they love what they're seeing from this tight end position, how Florida's using all these tight ends, not just Pitts, but but you know, uh, Gamble and, and uh Zipperer as well. And Will, the, the big thing about it, uh, and I love it, different skill sets, Will, and, and the tight end spot is producing is an easy sell right now looking at how these tight ends are playing and in the production that they're putting out there numbers wise. Yeah. Well, this is actually the, the prime thing that I'm going to be looking for from a play calling perspective when Florida plays Alabama, because gamble, the fact that he's showing that he can catch the ball and, and less zipper, but gamble, especially he's a really good blocker Mm -hmm. when it comes to the running game. And so when Pitts comes back, and obviously the announcement this week was that Pitts will be back for, for, for this game coming up, but with Pitts coming back, it gives you a lot of personnel options that you didn't have before because Gamble, at least to us, didn't look like the threat going down the field. And so one of the things that we talked about coming into this year was how do you replace LaMichael Pirine in the passing game? Well, they've done that with, with Malik mm-hmm. Davis at least, at least a fair amount. But one of the reasons that's important is that when Davis comes on the field, a linebacker usually comes on the field with him. Same thing with when Gamble comes on the field, a linebacker comes on the field with him. And with Pitts, I don't know what you do because a linebacker <laughs> can't guard him, a safety can't guard him, and a corner can't guard him. So you know you have a mismatch every time. So you can envision a scenario where Florida is going to catch teams, hopefully Alabama, in base defenses where they've got three linebackers on the field. And then when you when you split out from that and you say, okay, I'm gonna put Gamble in the slot, I'm gonna put um, I'm gonna put Pitts out wide, and I'm gonna have Davis go out for a route from the running back position who do you guard with the linebacker and that's the you know that to me is the significance the Patriots did an unbelievable job with of this when they drafted Aaron Hernandez and Gronkowski and the key there was that Gronkowski was such a good blocker that the defense had to bring a linebacker in to respect the running game when Gronk was in the game Hernandez wasn't really that great of a blocker and they moved him all over the place they had him at running back they had him at tight end they split him out wide and and those sorts of things it's a little bit different in the NFL but the, the concept is still the same that by having guys who can excel in both the running game and the passing game, it gives you things that you can do from a personnel perspective that put the defense at a disadvantage. And that, I think, is the significance of having a guy like Gamble step up in the passing game. One is that Trask now trusts him. But two, I expect them to have some two tight end sets against Alabama where they're trying to catch them with linebacker personnel in the game. And whether it costs Alabama a couple of timeouts because they have to call timeout because they realize, oh, crap, we're in the wrong, we're in the wrong formation, or if – if, if they end up catching him and get a linebacker on Gamble and Gamble's able to beat him in one-on-one coverage, or maybe even better, they don't know what to do and you end up with a linebacker on Pitts in one-on-one coverage that turns into a touchdown. Those are the types of things that having a guy like Gamble step up gives you the opportunity to do is to be able to scheme a way to get the defense at a disadvantage just by having the personnel you have on the field. Three tight end sets in the red zone. 
There we go. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, the bunched sets have had like Kadarius Tony yeah. as the outside guy down in the red zone. And, and, and last year it was all the wide receivers because the wide receivers are some of the best blockers that Florida had. You saw him motion Trevon Grimes in this past week to run out of the wildcat. Well, you know, what if you didn't have to motion Trevon Grimes in? what if you, you know, what if you motioned in somebody like Kyle Pitts to run out of that formation? And all of a sudden, you know, you've got gamble there on the outside to, to help block there. There's just so much more you can do when you have tight ends who can catch and block. And that to me is the key for gamble is not necessarily that he's been catching the ball, which obviously he has, but the fact that he is an effective blocker in the run game gives you the ability to do some things that maybe you couldn't do otherwise. And we'll get into it next week if it shows up again. But you can tell the Gator, the Gators are tinkering a little bit, Will, with the the Grimes Wildcat as you mentioned, the the move to under under center in a hurry to to get a run, you know, get a run playoff. You know, we're starting to see. I think as the season goes on, and I think that's why you're seeing a whole lot of players on defense as well. But you're seeing some some tinkering on offense as well, starting to work on some things, starting to put some things on tape uh, there for for opponents to have to prepare for. Look, we may never see Grimes and Wildcat again. But you got to prepare for it now. We may see, we may never see Trask under center again. But, but teams have got to go prepare for it now. So I think you know Mullen's working on some things. Whether we see it again or not, at least teams are going to have to prepare for it. Yeah, well, Emory Jones threw the ball. So <laughs> hey, hey, I forgot, I forgot the big, the I forgot the biggest one there. I saw, I left the headline out. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I, I think that they are mixing and matching, trying to find the things that are going to work because. Again, the game against Vanderbilt wasn't about how do we beat Vanderbilt by 60. It was how do we find the guys who are going to execute the plays the way we want to execute them. I think that's one of the reasons why you saw a lot of the younger guys on defense is it wasn't necessarily, oh, we have to get these guys in because the older guys aren't performing. It was, hey, we need to get these guys in to see how they perform when it's live action, not just practice. And and I think you see that with – with the offense and and the play calling there as well. And, again, I go back to – expecting perfection is probably is probably misguided um, one of the things that if you look at the offensive line I know there's been a lot of talk about about John DeLance and struggling in pass protection that's absolutely true he has struggled in that but when you look at the statistics the Gators are averaging 4.4 yards per rush when they rush inside right they're averaging 3.4 yards per rush when they rush inside left and DeLance doesn't have anything to do with that because rarely is he mm-hmm. pulling usually he's he's and and you saw that when they ran for the I think it was the touchdown right where they basically just ran right behind Delance. They, you know, they double teamed him with, uh, with, uh, Braun. was a Braun. But Delance Braun actually blocked pretty good on that play. Telling you, he is an excellent run blocker and probably better than anybody they can put out there at right tackle. So what they're really doing, I think, is giving up some things in the passing game from a pass protection standpoint to get more in the running game. And you're starting to see that in the, in, in the rushing statistics. And, and to be honest, Florida needs more in the running game than they need in the passing game because Trask is so good, he gets the ball out so quick, that a guy who struggles in pass protection can be – can be covered up by some of the things that Trask does. You're going to struggle to cover up guys struggling in the running game. And, and again, I think if you look at the right guard who's pulling along with the left tackle and the left guard, that's where Florida's really struggled in the run game. So, mm-hmm. 
you know, it's, it's, you give a little bit in one spot, you get a little bit in something else. The, the difference is that Florida has a Heisman level quarterback playing down behind, back behind center, which means the offense hums and hums and hums and hums on the defense. They're giving up a little bit more than they want in certain positions, but uh, it's coming along. It's coming along. I, I am encouraged by the game against Vanderbilt more so than, especially when I went back and looked at the film, I was, you know, during the game, I was like, yeah, it's the same old stuff. But as I went back and looked at it, I'm like, no, you know what? It's really not like the mistakes that are being made are fixable. You can see them fixing some of the mistakes. Certainly the communication issues are things that need to be taken care of. But, you know, th- those things, like you said, by game seven, that shouldn't be happening. But at the same time, you'd rather have it happen against Vanderbilt than have it happen against Alabama. So it's good that those mistakes have occurred because now you can go back and teach and fix and, and uh, everybody gets home. It's not a road trip this week. So hopefully a better performance against Kentucky this week. All right. And that's what we're, uh, that's what we're looking for too. Uh, Kevin McGuffey will be back on uh, with me to give a preview of Kentucky uh, again this week. So uh, team that played Alabama last week, uh, of course, dealing with their own COVID and injury issues there. So we'll get an update uh, on that part of uh, Kentucky. Will, what you got coming up uh, this week? Uh, I'm sure Kentucky preview and all that good stuff at Read and Reaction. Yeah, Kentucky preview. Nick Newton, one of my writers, he's uh, he's got something up there about the playoff and the positioning of different teams. You know, the interesting thing is maybe three weeks ago he was talking about BYU being a potential spoiler, and and that all got picked up this past week. So so he's paying attention to it and trying to talk about uh, you know who, who's going to be out there. And he actually just we just released an article he wrote today. It's it's always called the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the ugly makes fun of Georgia a little bit. So uh, that's a really good job with that. To, it's always good to sort of see the needling from him. And then, and then he did talk about some of the things we talked about tonight about the defensive side of the ball in terms of the positives that, mm-hmm. that, that he saw from, from Florida. So but that's always a good sort of quick read and, and uh, he's doing a good job with the site. So yeah, there'll be a Kentucky preview up and then uh, maybe something about the defense. We'll see. I, it, it depends on how much time I got, but since it's Thanksgiving, maybe I'll have some time to do it. There we go. There we go. Will miles read and reaction.com. At Will Miles SEC on Twitter. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>